0: Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. It's so easy for us to fall into a view of Jesus that is simple or routine, but Jesus came to radically change our perspective on what it means to truly live. We're in a series that takes a look at the statements that Jesus said about his mission for coming to earth. Our lives are different because of Jesus
1: good morning everybody welcome to grace life if this is your first time here so glad to have you guys with us and uh, so hey as we jump in today I, I want to talk about something we mentioned last week and give you some good news everybody like good news in this world uh, so as we started the service last week I, I gave you an update on where we were at getting into this building financially and and kind of some of the budget overages and what came next for us and so last Sunday I shared with you that we still had a need of about two hundred and fifteen thousand and five dollars and that's why we are still giving to the building fund and all those sorts of things, answering all those questions, and I know some of you might have thought, oh my gosh, that sounds incredible, what are we going to do with that? Well, here's some good news, by the time church was over last Sunday, we'd already received 101,000 towards that, yeah, you can cheer for something there. So if we can do 100,000 in one day, I think we've got another 114,000 we can do, right? I believe we can do this. You guys, are you with me? Good. That was not very, that was like, they were like, if I clap, does that mean I have to give? I don't know. I'm not sure, Jimmy. Yes, we, they, the person beside me, we can do this. Yes. Okay, anyway, there you go. Just pray about it. See what God would put on your heart. We can do this. That's all I got to say about that. All right, good. Well, we're in a series, and uh, if you've been, Uh, around me any period of time, you already know something about me. I'm going to tell you again because I've told you this before, but I'm one of those people that loves these grand epic movies, especially things that kind of either are timeless in the sense you don't know right when they would play out or the kind of the medieval times or something like that. So I'm talking about things like Braveheart or Lord of the Rings. Come on, do I have anybody in the room like, oh, yeah, somebody with me? Yeah, somebody's got to be with me today. And the reason that I really like these movies is because they are always about good versus evil evil and and good seems to always be the underdog and evil is like the massive force that is going to win the day at least that's the way you think like you just have no idea how good is going to win like and and evil is always like the big giant and good is always like the the small guy And I like these because it's so personal because it's always like a sword fight, you know, face to face. Nobody's just dropping bombs from miles away. You kind of like got to get into this thing. And so the battle, the winning of the battle comes down to the heart of the good, the person that's, that's there to fight for. it. It's kind of all the grit and the personal and everything. And so you just get this idea of being up in somebody's face, just personal, like got to fight this thing out. And so here, does everybody have that kind of image? Has everybody watched either Lord of the Rings or something, something like that? You know what I'm talking about? Good. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to have that image in your head as I tell you what we're going to talk about today. So if you are new to Grace Life for the first time here, we're in a series, uh, today's part six of a series we've been doing. It's called Because of Jesus. And it's looking at statements that Jesus made or statements that were made about him that says, this is what he came to do. And because of Jesus, either our world or our lives should be so different. And so again, everybody's got that image in your head, right? Everybody's got the sword that glows when an orc comes near, right? Or something like that. And you've got your stance and you're ready for this. Okay, so here we go. We're going to talk today about how Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, right? Destroy the works of the devil. You know, there's a Bible verse that says that God will soon crush Satan beneath our feet, right? So, I mean, are you thinking about this? You've got your sword. You're imagined you're in Lord of the Rings. We're going to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Is anybody getting excited with me about the idea that we are going to leave all of the demon orcs laying on the ground and we are going to conquer today? Somebody, yeah? That's what we're going to do. Freedom! I mean, I don't know, man. We're just all gonna give our lines out today and, and see where we can go with this. So here's here's the thing. Who's in? He's in, because he's over there making movie lines, just quoting, right? I'm in, and we're going to destroy the works of the devil. We're excited about this. So here's where we're going to pick it up today. First John chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. If not, it's going to be on the screen. But we're obviously going to start where I just said we were. Here's what it says. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, here's the thing. That was a statement made about Jesus. So before we get too excited, we need to find out if this is a trustworthy statement. So it's in the Bible, that makes it trustworthy, that should be a good beginning for it, right? But on top of this, who put it there? This was written by John. And John was one of Jesus' disciples. He's John, the son of Zebedee, he and his brother were disciples together. And not only was he one of the 12, which means he would have had a pretty good idea of what Jesus was here to do, because he was always with Jesus. He was actually one of the three You may not know this, but quite often Jesus would pull away with just three of the disciples. He'd spend time with them. He would tell them things that other people didn't get to hear. He'd have conversations with them. They would get to see things like they were at the transfiguration. They were one of the three people that got to see this take place. And so this is that John. One of those guys, he wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he also wrote Revelation. He was the one that was given what I call a privilege, the great privilege of having Revelation and all of those visions revealed to him to share with the rest of us. So I think that that means we can trust what he said. You guys with that? So when one of the closest people to Jesus in all of his ministry says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, we can go forward with that. But now it raises the question. We're going to answer two questions today. The first question is, then what are the works of the devil? If he came to destroy the works of the devil, what are the works of the devil? And, and, and you might start to list some things. Let's just think through it in our head. Maybe things like death or hate or greed or pride or fear. Or witchcraft. <clears throat> I'm sure you guys got some others, right? I mean, we could do this for hours. We could start listing all of these different things that are evil in our world that we see, that we know came from the works of the devil. But what I want to propose to you is that those are not the works of the devil. What those are, are the results of the work of the devil. You see, I think there is one primary work of the devil and everything else hinges upon that. I think there's one thing, and if we can grasp this this morning, then we can destroy the works of the devil because this one thing is the linchpin to everything. It's the cornerstone of which Satan has built everything that he attempts to do here on earth. One thing, one primary thing. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to use the word primary a lot because everything depends upon this. I'm not saying there are not other things that matter, but this matters more than anything else. Are you guys with me on this? So here's the thing. His primary work is rebellion it's the primary thing he's here to do because see satan stands opposed to god and god's ways and he rebelled and as soon as he rebelled the first thing that he was out to do was to lead the rest of creation to rebel against god too if you could imagine going to the uh, satanic office in hell, right? You know, pretty sure they don't have like cool lake front windows. But, but anyway, here's if you imagine walking down the hall and there's a mission statement on their office, if all of the little demons running around doing all the clerical work and everything, they've got their t-shirts on, and the mission statement is there, and it simply is to lead creation in rebellion against God. That is his primary work. It's all that he's ever tried to accomplish. You see, Everything went wrong in the beginning. And, and if we, you've ever read the story of Genesis 3, that's where we get the story. But this took place long, long ago in history. And there was a moment where Satan rebelled against God and he was cast out. Now, Scripture does not give us any understanding of Satan's state of mind. It doesn't say anything about what he thought or what he felt or whatever. So uh, just, just know that what I'm about to tell you is just simply Jimmy's idea, okay? But here's what I think. I think that at least for a moment, Satan regretted what he did. And it's not because I really think he has the capacity for a lot of regret. Matter of fact, I'm not sure that he does. So I think this moment didn't last very, very long at all. But I just think this, how could anyone or anything be in the perfect holy presence of God himself? Be a part of worship of all the host of heaven? which is what he was before he was cast out, before he rebelled, he experienced that. And based on what I know of my experience with the presence of God in this broken world through my broken human filter, if it's as good as I think it is, imagine what he had. So if he had that kind of experience in God's presence, how could he have not regretted it for at least a moment to go, "Uh uh-oh. But again, I don't really think he has a lot of capacity for sorrowfulness, and if you've ever seen a child where they, they do something wrong, but they don't want to say they did something wrong, and, and so they just double down on what they did as though it was right, you know, you, you, parents, come on, y'all got kids, and they they just argue with you as though there was a reason for what they did, although there is no such reason. I told you a couple of weeks ago about one of my children wanted me to clean the kitchen because I made the mess of cooking him dinner. and And, and as I He's joking at first. He just doubled down on that. Just, no, you made the mess. And it actually ended up where he ended up getting grounded because he just kept insisting that that he was right. And and I think that's exactly what happened with Satan right here. After just a sheer moment of, oh my, this was not really what I thought would happen. Then he's like, but you know what? Not about to say what I'm wrong. Because one of the greatest characteristics we do know about Satan out of Scripture is his pride. And so I think he doubled down on his pride and said, all right, I'll tell you what, he thinks he's going to throw me down. He thinks I'll get creation to rebel against him. I'm not going to be the only one down here like this. I'm going to get everything he's ever made to come and rebel against him. And so he has a problem because you see, at this point in history, creation is good. Creation is good. Adam and Eve, they're good. I mean, come on, married people. You know, sometimes you're like, oh gosh, what did I get myself into, right? <laughs> yeah, y'all can laugh. It's okay. It was funny. They were made for each other. They didn't have to do this. I don't know if she's the right one. I don't know. Better check around a little. I mean, there's the only, t- I mean, they were made for each other. No questions asked. They were beautiful. If you can imagine, the fall hasn't happened. Nobody's discovered Cheetos and French fries yet. I mean, I'm telling you, creation was good. Life was good. God was good. The Bible tells us they would walk in the garden in the cool of the day and talk with God. It was good. So how are you going to get them to rebel against a good creator in the midst of good creation? It turns out his primary work required a primary strategy, and that is deception they're not going to rebel again until something is wrong. They've got to believe something that is not there. Now look, you want a kind of a simple analogy of how this works? Because again, creation is never going to rebel against a good and loving creator when everything is good, right? You with me? And so think about a newborn. A newborn just looks at its creator, mommy, and goes, Oh, you are awesome just hug me, just hold me, just feed me. And as soon as you put it down, you're
0: going, wow, well, I don't like this, I want my creator
1: back. And so then you, it, it, all it takes is the creator picks them up and then the cries go away. Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about? And, and then a few years go by. And they begin to believe other things, and they hear other things, and they think other things. And the next thing you know, that same, same little creation that used to go, Oh, I love you, Mommy, goes, I hate you, and slams the door and runs out, right? You know? And you've got to believe something about your mother and your father that, that well you didn't believe when you were first born. And so that's what he's after is this deception. And the Bible tells us that's exactly what happens, that Satan deceived Eve. He went to her and said, look, I know what God said to you. But see, here's the thing. God just is trying to hold you down. God just knows you'll be great like him. He's just trying to keep you back from your greatness. And then, of course, the mistake was made. She began to think about that and to rationalize that, and to work with that thought, and then she came to believe that thought. And so the primary strategy of deception worked because she believed the primary lie. God isn't good. You guys see this? It still happens today, doesn't it? Satan still has a primary work to lead us in rebellion. That has never changed. He still has a primary strategy And that is to deceive us about our world, about ourselves, about our God. And he does it with one primary lie, God isn't good. Because as soon as you believe that lie, you can believe a whole host of secondary lies. Because if God isn't good, then God doesn't want good for you. God's plan for you isn't good. God's just trying to keep you down. God's just trying to have bad rules. God's just this, God's just that. And God doesn't want that for you. becomes the primary lie. You see, I often ask people, when I'm in a a counseling situation or something and they're they're talking to me about what's wrong in their life and and I'll tell them what I think God would want for them and then they say, yeah, but. Come on, (laughs) we've all done that, right? We all do that. I know what's right, but. I I do this all the time with like chocolate, cheeseburgers, french fries. I know I should have a salad, but. Salads don't taste like double cheeseburgers with mayonnaise and bacon, do they? I mean, come on. Sorry for all the vegans in the room. That didn't work for you, did it? Okay, but anyway. And so I'll ask them a simple question as they're just sitting and they're talking and they're they're saying, well, I know I need to make a change, but. Well, I know God would want that, but. And I say, okay, I just need you to answer one question for me. How does a person know when they are deceived? How does a person know when they are deceived? And the answer is, they never do. Because see, if you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be doing that anymore. If you knew that what you are thinking is the exact opposite of truth. You see, when you get to a point where if you were to rationalize and you would say, well, that's just stupid, then you wouldn't do that. You see, every time that we do what we do, it's out of that primary strategy. That is every time we do what we do that stands against God. It's because we're deceived. We don't realize we're deceived and therefore we play right into the rebellion of going against what God would want for us. So this leads back to what we were just saying. Our primary question is, what are the works of the devil? So again, I say the primary work of the devil is rebellion. So then the secondary question is this. Is this something for us to do, or is it just for Jesus? I mean, come on, we're doing all this stuff we're talking about because of Jesus. But let's be honest, Jesus was God in the flesh, right? It is fair every now and then to ask the question, so was that just for Jesus because he is God in the flesh? Or is this something for his human followers to do as well? And and I'm going to throw out the idea that Jesus said, hey, greater works than what I do will you do. So if Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil as one of his works, I'm going to propose to you that this is for us to do as well. Somebody want to destroy the works of the devil? Yeah. Okay, so I just tricked you though. Because you can say, okay, Jimmy. Jimmy. So if the primary work of of the devil is rebellion, then how are we going to destroy that? And I'm just going to say a word nobody likes. But see, if the primary work of the devil is rebellion, then the primary way to defeat that is obey. Obey God. Now look, I know right now I just like said a four-letter word. And in more than one way, right? I mean... If you want to to grow a church and you you want to draw people in, you're supposed to talk about God's love and God's goodness. You're supposed to have all these flashing lights. And you're supposed to avoid words like sin and obey. But the reality of it is, the answer to defeating the work of Satan is to reject the rebellion. Now that's a cool t-shirt, isn't it? Reject rebellion, obey God. Reject rebellion, obey God. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to back up. You see, a minute ago, I read this statement. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. But that was not a standalone statement, nor was it an introductory statement. It was actually a summary statement. We actually started at the end. So I want us to go back to the beginning now and see how in the world did John get to the point to say, here's how I know Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So we're going to go back to verse one. And it says this, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Wow. Amazing. He would call us children of God. And so we are children of God. This is amazing. And so therefore, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is what we do because we're children of God. That's what that's saying. Everybody with me there? said look you're in the family you call him father we call each other brother and sister and we are children so therefore because we're in this family this is what we do and I try to do this with my own kids sometimes I would love to tell you because I'm a pastor and everything my kids are awesome and holy and perfect and little angels that I'd be lying cause my children just prove the need to preach they've got a sin nature cuz they are born human and it's just a mess sometimes and so uh, they'll get into fights over the dumbest stuff right parents and you're like, do I seriously have to like pause the TV to mediate this mess? And, and sure enough, I do. And so they'll start fighting with each other and saying things they shouldn't say to each other. And, and so I will grab whichever one seems to be the largest and loudest offender. <laughs> that's how it works. Yep, there you go. And, and I will get down on my knee and look them in the eyes, because fortunately with some of my children, that still works. And, and, uh, and I'll say, in this family, that's not how we treat each other. And I will try to get this mentality into them. I'm hoping that someday when I'm very old or dead or whatever the story is, they'll say, my daddy always used to tell me. That's what I'm hoping for. And I'll say, look, the world is so mean and so many people will be so mean to you and to each other in this family. We will not be mean to each other. We will love each other. I don't ever wanna hear you say that to your brother. I don't ever wanna hear you say that to your sister because in this family, and I'll think that I've kind of like got that across and like, I'll feel good about myself. Yes come on, dad, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, yeah. And it won't take two minutes before I'll feel like the biggest failure on the earth. They're screaming and yelling, I hate you. Give me my iPad. I don't know where your iPad is. I hid your iPad. And then I just remind myself, well, God's children don't listen to him ever either. So These next lines are tough. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that up front. This is not one of those Oh, did you enjoy today's sermon? Oh, yes, it was so great. Let's go to Moses and have lunch. These are going to hurt. Everybody, ready for this? So, in verse 4, he says this Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Because sin is lawlessness. That's a lot of big words, it's a little confusing. Matter of fact, the whole idea of lawlessness can be misunderstood because we would think we're under grace. Jesus came, the Bible says, for you've been saved by grace, and for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life because of grace. It is because of grace. We're not under the law. And if you're new to church and you're saying what does he mean by the law, that's We'll just sum it up as this, all of those rules in the Old Testament to say this is how to follow God, most of that is what we would refer to as the law. I know I oversimplified that, please forgive me, that'll work for right now. And we say, well, we're not under the law, therefore we are lawless. This is great. No, because even though we are no longer under the law to get to heaven, the law still tells us who our God is and what he wants from us. And although we don't follow it perfectly to be right with Him, thanks to the grace of God, what lawless means right here in this context is that we reject God's guidance, we reject God's will. And so we don't ever want to get to a point, I do want to say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you that I am saved and I'm going to heaven by what you did on the cross. But I don't ever want to get to a point that says, therefore, I can reject who God is and what He wants for me. And so that's why it says that whoever practices sinning is rejecting God's guidance and rejecting his law in terms of a revelation of who he is. And then he says, look, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Wait a minute, I thought you just said, John, he he came to destroy the works of the devil. In like two sentences. And, And so are you confused about what he came to do? No, what John is actually saying is they're the same. You see, destroying the works of the devil is taking away sin. And and so we first get that because, you know, the devil thinks he trapped us and we are going to be condemned to eternity with him. But Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus forgives us. And so suddenly he's taken away the sins of our past. And we go, yes. And the devil goes, no. And, And so we get that when we first read that. But you understand there's more to it than that. You see, Jesus didn't just come to erase our past sins. Jesus died to forgive us of our sins, but Jesus rose again to eradicate the power of sin in our lives. This isn't just about getting over what we did yesterday. This is about the ability to change what we will do tomorrow. When it says Jesus came to take away our sins. Now, the next sentence is one of the hardest in the whole Bible. It doesn't get preached very often because, well, it just doesn't preach well. But it hurts good says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Wow, so wait a minute. If I don't practice righteousness because I keep on sinning, then it's saying that I don't even know who he is, but, but I can't be perfect. I mean, I'm a human, and I'm fallen. And even when I try, I'm going to fail at that. But that's just, I just don't know I can accept that because, I mean, I feel like I do know Him and I feel like I want to know Him and I feel like I love Him. And, and I come in here and I sing songs to Him and I praise Him and I say, God, You're good. I mean, come on, somebody with me on this? And I'm saying, God, You're, you're awesome, but, but I know I'm going to walk out the door and I'm going to mess up and I'm still going to sin. And so if that's true, then this tells me, I don't know You. And what do I do with that? Is, is anybody with me in this tension? Did you catch the part that said, little children, let no one deceive you? You see, we think of the deception of the enemy. We immediately blame Eve and we go back to Genesis 3. But stop blaming Eve. Because deception is still the primary strategy today. This is after Jesus. This is after his death and after his resurrection. And we're still being warned not to be deceived. Deception is as real today as it's ever been. And see, here's the primary strategy at this moment as we look at this verse. I think here's what we get into. It's this, just just check out the way our thinking goes. Well, you know, no one can be perfect and avoid all sin. And since I can't be sinless, I guess I'm just going to be grateful that I'm forgiven. After all, being sinless is, well, it's just really a ridiculous notion. Who can accomplish that? You see, I think at this point when we read verse 6, We fall into one of two groups as Christians. We're we're either going to be people who say, God, I thank you that I'm forgiven. I'm just so glad I'm forgiven. And you know, I'm just not going to worry too much about that other stuff because all I can do is think about how good you are that you've forgiven me. And that is a good place to be. Leaves out a little something, but it's still a good place to be. Probably better than the group I'm in. I would say that I'm over here in this other group that says... Well, I just suck. And I don't mean that in a funny way. It's like, It's I mean, I try. And then I'm still going to sin. And I'm going to try again. But then I'm still going to have bad thoughts about that person who cut me off in traffic. Or then I'm going to not trust God in this situation, which is sin. And then I'm going to be afraid God isn't going to be good to me, which is sin. And you see what I'm saying? And I think we naturally gravitate towards one or the other. There are a few people that have walked with Jesus long enough, they, they get the middle ground of, "God, you're good, I'm forgiven, and I'm still going to try." And this is just one of the hardest things. See, what I believe is that too many Christians simply don't try to be sinless simply because they know they're forgiven and they believe it's a hopeless cause. And I think that's why the enemy succeeds at doing so much today, because we've just said, "Ah,, who cares? I'm forgiven." I'm good, Why try to hit a goal that I could never hit? I mean, the truth is, most of us have tried to hit goals we haven't hit, and we've done that so many times. I mean, every year, New Year's resolutions, right? And we make a list of all these goals, and we eventually get to a point, we just give up and say, thank God for your grace, and we just stop trying. So one of the reasons I told you earlier I like Lord of the Rings is because that's just kind of where my mind is, Last weekend we had a little extra time and so Friday night we sat down and we watched the first one and so then Saturday we said, hey, we should watch the second one and guess what we did Sunday after I preached? We said, we've got to watch the third one. We've got to finish up this trilogy because an incomplete trilogy is never a good thing, right? And so as we were watching the third movie, for those of you that are familiar with Lord of the Rings, in the third movie, the final battle, the forces of good, as you would expect, are outnumbered. And the forces of good are just Humans with swords and horses. And they're going into this battle where they are greatly outnumbered. I mean, we're talking, I think, 10 to 1 or or 100 to 1 or something like that. And There's these evil demon-looking orcs, if you've ever seen either the movie Gremlins or Lord of the Rings. I think that's what demons look like, either gremlins or orcs. You know, one of the two, just as ugly as can be. Masses are coming against them. There is no reason in the natural realm that good will ever defeat evil and they know it this is really important follow me here so on the eve of the battle at the night some of the soldiers that are watching people run off they think they're running off to not fight in the battle and so they begin to get scared and they go to the king the leader and they say we can't defeat them can we If you've never watched the movie, of course, you're expecting this to be like every other feel-good movie that's ever existed. And you're waiting on this leader to give this inspirational talk about if we just dig deep, if we just have faith, we're going to be able to conquer the... I mean, we're going to do this, right? You kind of think that's where the moment is going. But here's how the moment actually goes. They come up to the king of Rohan and they say, we can't defeat them, can we? And his answer... As stately as could be, is no, we cannot defeat them. But we will meet them in battle nonetheless. It's a cause worth dying for. And I think this should be our attitude towards sinlessness. Nope, I can't be sinless. (laughs) But that's not going to stop me from getting up tomorrow to try anyway. Because he's my God, and I am his child. And in this family, we try to be pure just like him because he is pure. We try to eliminate sin because that's what Jesus came to do, to take away sins and to destroy the power of sin in our lives. It's because this is who we are. This is what I will do, not because I will fail it, because it's all I can try. That wasn't in my notes. (laughs) And we're back to where we started. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. There it is. In context, sin, rebelling against God, is the primary work of the devil that Jesus came to destroy. So if you want to destroy the works of the devil, especially in your own life, the answer is the (laughs) t-shirt. Reject rebellion. Reject rebellion, obey God. I know the second half of that doesn't preach so great. It it, it sounds kind of just, well, churchy, I guess. But reject rebellion sounds cool, doesn't it? Just put that on the t-shirt. You'll know the other part. You don't have to put that on there. Yes, I reject rebellion. I mean, you can go to work like that and see what people say. So I want to close with what truly was the opening statement of this passage. It actually began a few sentences earlier than even where we started. It's verse 28 of chapter 2 for those of you that are following along. But here's what he said. His whole intro was, and now little children, abide in Him. So that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame. And not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. See, we shrink from him, don't we? And we hide from him. Do you know why we shrink from God? Do you know why we hide from God? Because we have shame. And do you know why we have shame? It's because we're aware of our own rebellion. We're aware of our own rebellion. We know that we have said, God, I don't care, I'm doing what I want. We know we have said, God, that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is, And over time, what ends up happening is that we hide from God and fear the devil. And that couldn't be more backwards, could it? And what John is trying to say is, look, if we will get on board with our Savior and stop the sin and destroy the works of the devil, we can turn that upside down. We can flip this. We can get to a point where we don't hide from our God. We run to our God because we have hope we have hope we we don't have shame we feel loved we feel accepted we are blessed we are healed we are free our God is good our lives are good God is doing good in our lives and this is why we can get out of bed tomorrow and say I will show up for this battle I will show up for this battle I will be like my king I will be like my God I will destroy the works of the devil now, here's the thing. The whole punchline, of course, I had people that talk, they, they, they heard about the message cause you know, I'll have to upload the notes so people can make all this stuff on the screen and the worship team can see the notes. And so quite often there's a handful of people that know what I'm preaching. And this morning there were several people were like, oh man, I am so pumped. We're talking about spiritual warfare. We're, this is gonna be awesome. We're just gonna crush the devil. We're talking about destroying the works of the devil. And I just thought to myself, oh, wait till they hear. Yes, this is a message about spiritual warfare. But typically when we talk about spiritual warfare, we're talking about going out there and finding what the devil's doing and trying to smack him in the back of the head or something. No, no, no. When it comes to destroying the works of the devil, his primary work, it's not out there. It's right here. The rebellion is not out there for every person. For every person, the rebellion is right here starts right here or right here. If you want to destroy the works of the devil, you don't need to pack your bag. You don't need to get in your car. You need to get on your knees and look in the mirror because that is where the rebellion is. And the truth is, I know there are all these great things we do in spiritual warfare, you know, like, like prayer, walking, and and all these different things that we do, that if every single person simply rejected the rebellion, none of the results like hatred, greed, pride, witchcraft, murder, racism, no, none of that would exist. None of that would exist if right here was God's nature doesn't happen out there. It happens right here. If you want to destroy the works of the devil, it starts with me. It starts with you. Reject the rebellion. I want to close by talking to those of you that for you, this begins with making Jesus your king. You've never done that for whatever reason. I don't know could be a long list of reasons. It could be intellectual. It could be emotional. It could be that you've been hurt by church or by what people have said. I don't know what the reason is, but I'm going to tell you the beginning for you of having the life that God wants for you is to say yes to Jesus. Because you see, he died and rose again to give you the power over all of the darkness in this world. So if you have never made Jesus your king, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. The good news is I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. You don't have to stand up or come down front, but right where you're seated, I'm going to lead you in a conversation with him. Would you all join me right where you're seated and pray something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me, and now I want to live for you. I want to destroy the work of the devil in my life. I thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to Resources, where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. If you have any questions or want to know more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We would love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.